Hey, welcome. Welcome, River Glen, uh, everybody. Great to have you here. Thank you for joining us for church. Welcome here in Waukesha, online, Pewaukee. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. We uh, wrap up the series called uh, Three, because life is full of, of threes, and so is uh, Scripture. The first weekend, we talked about how God uh, transformed a prophet uh, named Jonah in, in how many days? Three days, yeah, in the belly of a great fish. And then uh, the weekend, or the, yeah, the weekend after that, we talked about how God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, called a uh, trinity. And last week, we had three chairs up on stage to represent different levels of uh, spiritual uh, growth. And now today, I'm going to finish it up, and I get the opportunity to share with you three reasons that I love this uh, church to just help us celebrate and honor God for what he's done. Now, I had a hard time, really did, uh, narrowing it down to just three. I mean, there's just so many reasons, so many things I love about this church. I love the mission. I love the beliefs. I love the people. I love the future vision that God has for our church. I mean, there's just so many things that I could uh, share with you that I love about this church. And, and maybe you love this church uh, uh, too, and you're super excited to hear about how God is leading and how God is is uh, working here and how we can pray for the church and for the future of the church, or maybe not so much. Maybe you're new, or maybe you're newer, and you're just checking out River Glen, and we're just thrilled to have you here with us. And you know what? I would just love to have the opportunity today to try and fire you up about how God can use your life uh, in this church to make a difference, because here's what I believe with all my heart, that we can do more together than we can apart. I mean, we can make a bigger impact for Jesus together as a, as a church than we can individually. Uh, because Jesus is the only one who can change a human heart. You know, politicians can change laws and policies. Uh, schools can educate the minds of students. Sports teams can teach the importance of character and hard work. And all those things have great value. But Jesus himself said these words, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Yeah, I love how Jesus said, I'll build my church. It's his church, not my church, not your church, not our job to build the church. It's his job. And we just, we just follow him and help him. And notice how Jesus mentions uh, hell here. Some people think that hell is just metaphorical or fictitious, not Jesus. Jesus believed and taught that hell is a real uh, place and that the church is the only organization that'll prevail against the gates of hell. The word prevail means a victory against an opposing uh, force. Now, I don't know what you picture when you, if we could get that back up here, I don't know what you picture when you hear uh, that verse. I'll tell you what I, what, what I pictured in my mind for years when I would read or hear this uh, verse. I would picture, you know, the church under attack by, by people and by the world, you know, making fun and ridiculing the, the, the church and Jesus and, and the Bible, but uh, the, the church will survive. The church will uh, prevail. But uh, look at that verse uh, again, because a gate is not an offensive weapon. A gate is something that you build to keep someone out. In, in other words, the church 
is not on the defensive. Jesus wants the church to go on the offensive. Jesus wants the church to storm the gates of hell and rescue more people. And look at what he promises here, that the gates of hell will not prevail uh, against it. And this is something I love so much about this church. Clearly, Jesus doesn't want us to uh, shrink back and you know, hide in our buildings and just you know, stay away from the evil that exists in the world. No, Jesus tells us to move forward and play offense and carry out his mission of making more and better followers of, of Jesus. And so today, I want to share with you three reasons I love this church and the way that you play offense. And as I do, I hope that you'll kind of catch a vision for how God can use your life in this uh, church. Here's the first reason I love this church, because we have the courage to take risk. I I saw a quote from a movie called uh, We Bought a Zoo, and I haven't seen the movie. I heard it's okay. But I love this quote from the movie. It goes like this, that sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Isn't that great? Isn't that true? It, it took 20 seconds of insane courage for the disciple Peter to get out of the boat and walk on the water. 20 seconds of insane courage. It took 20 seconds of insane courage for a shepherd boy to pick up a sling uh, named David and fight against a, July, a giant named Goliath. It, it takes 20 seconds of insane courage to ask somebody out or to be part of uh, starting a new ministry or, or giving your life to, to Jesus. 20 seconds of, of insane courage to confess a sin or an addiction that you've kept secret to ask for, for, for help, and that can lead you to freedom. Just 20 seconds of insane courage. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 2, it says that a king uh, by the name of Saul, King Saul, is sitting underneath a pomegranate tree just outside the uh, town called uh, Gibeah. And while King Saul is resting under this pomegranate tree, his son named Jonathan had 20 seconds of insane courage. Let me, uh, let me tell you the uh, uh, background here, the context. The Philistines, who were enemies of Israel, gathered at Israel's western uh, border and threatened to attack. And so the Israelites came out to meet them, and it turns into a standoff. And uh, during this standoff, uh, King Saul just you know, stays under the pomegranate tree, uh, resting in the shade. And his son Jonathan turned to his armor bearer, and he said, hey, uh, what if we went over to the Philistine side? Almost like, hey, you know, let's, let's go have some fun. Uh, let's do something maybe a little bit uh, crazy. And look at what the armor bearer says uh, to him. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. Isn't that a beautiful phrase, heart and soul? Do you have somebody who's with you in your life, heart and soul? You know, maybe... A, Maybe a spouse or a parent who's always there for you. They're loving you and supporting you. They're, they're with you, heart and soul. Or maybe, maybe you've got a friend that you can call at 2 in the morning, you know, no matter what's going on in your life. What a gift. What a gift to have someone who's with you, heart and soul. But I'm not sure the armor bearer would have said, I'm with you, heart and soul, if he had known the plan that Jonathan had. Take a look at how Jonathan describes his plan. He said, uh, come on uh, then, we'll cross over toward them 
and let them uh, see us, and Jonathan goes on, if they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay there, we'll stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, the Philistines say, come up to us, we'll climb up because that'll be our sign that the Lord has given them into our uh, hands. That's the plan. And the armor bearer is like, hold on a minute. Um, uh, wait a second. Uh, the, the plan is that we're going to go and show ourselves to the uh, enemy. And when they see us, what they say to us is going to determine what we do next. That's the plan. And so they're going to go and show themselves to the Philistines. And then what they do next is kind of like, you know, we'll see. Who knows? And then right before they leave, here's what Jonathan says to his armor bearer. He says, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. You know, I don't know. You know, we might die. I mean, it might get really bad. But perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. And that's exactly what the Lord did. When the Philistines saw Jonathan and his armor bearer approaching uh, him, they said, hey, come on over. And that signaled that the Lord had given them victory. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer make their way over to the Philistine side, and the Philistine army got spooked, and they started to retreat, and the Israelite army sees them retreating, and they go after them, and uh, they, they win an incredible uh, victory. In fact, it says, so on that day, the Lord saved Israel, all because one man had 20 seconds of insane courage. I'll tell you, the history of River Glen Church is filled with perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf moments. You know, way back in uh, 1996, Marnie and I, my wife, uh, Marnie and I moved up here to uh, plant this church, and we struggled uh, to recruit anybody to help us. People thought we were crazy because we didn't have any money or people or buildings or, or ministries. Finally, there were 15 people who had the courage to say yes to helping us and serving on the launch team. We gathered together for a picture a, a few years later. And these people, they went all in. I mean, they, they were, they were uh, committed heart and soul. What, what, whatever it, it takes, uh, trusting that perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. And God did way more than we imagined. God does some of his best work when we have the courage to take a risk. And then in, in 2015, we took another uh, risk that seemed kind of insane at the time. We, we decided to take a weekend offering and just give it all away, every penny of it. Whatever comes in that weekend, we're just going to give it away to meet needs locally, regionally, uh, globally. And I remember feeling really nervous about it, and some of our leaders felt nervous about it. You know, uh, hopefully God will provide for, for our church uh, so that we can uh, pay our bills. We took a risk, and the Lord acted, and you responded with so much generosity that we've done that offering giveaway several more times and given away over a million dollars, I mean, to meet needs locally, regionally, and globally. God does some of his best work, doesn't he? We have the courage to take a risk. 2018, we took another risk, and we sent a group from this location to go and start the Pewaukee uh, campus, and the Lord acted. Hundreds of people started attending Pewaukee. Last year, uh, Pewaukee had a record number of baptisms. They baptized uh, 29 people. They had their largest Sunday ever 
over just over 630 people on uh, Easter. Way to go, Pewaukee. Let's give them a hand. That's a great thing. Yeah, God acted, and God does some of his best work, doesn't he? When we have the courage to take a, a risk. Here's what you need to know about this church. We're going to continue to play offense, and we're going to continue to reach out uh, to, to more people to help them to find Jesus. And here's why. Because we believe that heaven and hell are real. I mean, we know we're going to die, right? We know people die. We just don't tend to live that way. You know, we think, well, it's not going to happen today. But Jesus taught very clearly that heaven and hell are real. And that the love and the joy and the peace and the forgiveness and the new life that Jesus offers every person is real. And so we just can't sit under the shade, you know, of the pomegranate uh, tree. We, we got to be willing to show courage and take risk as a, as a church, trusting that perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. All right, here's a second reason that I love uh, River Glen Church, and that is we unify together around Jesus in, in spite of our, our differences. And we do have some uh, differences, uh, some disagreements in our church. We have some uh, differences uh, among our uh, staff, uh, among our leadership that might be uh, hurting our relationships. Uh, now, the differences are not biblical or about God or related uh, to church, but we've got some bitter uh, differences um, in, our, in our staff, among our staff, between coffee drinkers. Yeah, some of us are, are like, you know, cheap coffee uh, uh, drinkers. You know, I like, you know, gas station coffee. I just want caffeine. Anybody else like a cheap coffee? Any other cheap coffee? Anybody willing to admit? Oh, yeah, okay, a few of us. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I, you know, I don't really like to splurge at the uh, coffee shops. I, uh, I use Keurig, you know, and I, I, I'm content with the uh, Costco version of the K-Cup. So there's that group, the cheap coffee, and then there's another group, I'm going to call them the, uh, the coffee elite or coffee snobs. And, uh, you know, these people will grind their own beans and they'll use about six or seven devices. You know, in that uh, process, they'll do the complicated pour over uh, method. And, you know, they don't even go to chain coffee uh, shops. I mean, they go to the small coffee shop that gets the, the beans from the, the rainforest. Um, recently, my wife and I went to a little town nearby, and she wanted to go shopping in the downtown. And I said to her, I said, you know, you go ahead and go shopping, and I'm going to go sit in one of these, one of these small, you know, elite uh, uh, coffee shops. Found, I found one. I went up to the counter, and I'm looking at the menu. I just want a cup of coffee, and I could not find it on the menu. And I'm like, I'm sure they have a cup of coffee here. It's a coffee uh, shop. But I felt embarrassed because I didn't know how to order one. And so I finally got up to the cash register, and uh, here's what I said. I said, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the flavor of the day? And it was, you know, tropical uh, rainforest uh, coffee. I said, I'll take one. And I trans transferred some money from my savings account into my uh, debit card, <laughs> and um, I uh, ordered one. And, uh, and then, I made the, then I made the mistake of asking where the cream and sugar were, and I think I offended them on that, but I bring that up. That's just kind of a fun, you know, lighthearted, hope maybe humorous example of people taking sides and uh, different differences. Uh, that's a fun example, but I think we can all think of other examples uh, where people divide and they're not as uh, uh, fun. Um, uh, for example, it's easy for uh, political differences and disagreements to lead to division 
and disunity and, and bitterness and you know, friendships to end and, and that sort of thing. It reminds me of a short video that I came across of two sisters playing the game King of the Hill. One sister makes quick work of her other sister uh, and then her little brother uh, comes over. Take a look. <laughs> Get him, Maverick! Get him! Get him, Maverick! <laughs> two points for Quinn! Take Win. Poor mom. Yeah, she's really proud there for, you know, one moment and another moment like, oh, no. I saw that video and I thought, you know what, that's kind of a picture of the political climate, you know, in our, in our country right now. It's like, you know, Republicans and Democrats just, you know, smacking each other, just whacking each other. And sometimes Christian people can behave that, that, that way. But nothing can take a church off mission like disunity. I'm telling you, you can walk into a church and in like five minutes, you can tell if that church is divided and, and fighting or if they're unified around Jesus and they really love and welcome new people. Now, we've got some different opinions in the church. I mean, we don't, you know, at River Glen, we don't fully agree on every uh, subject. But that's okay, because our goal is not to agree on every single political or government issue. Our goal is to unify around the cross of Jesus Christ and the demonstration of his love and his sacrificial death and his resurrection from the, the, the grave. We, we unify around Jesus, and our goal is to treat people who who we disagree with, to treat them with, with love and, and kindness. I like how Tony Evans describes our unity. Oneness does not mean sameness. Oneness means unity of purpose. We are stronger together. In John chapter 7, Jesus gives his final extended prayer before he dies on the cross and ascends to heaven. What do you think Jesus prayed for? in this uh, moment. What do, you, what do you think he prayed for to God uh, the Father? Do you think he prayed for the marriages of his followers? Do you think he prayed for the financial success of his followers? Do you think he prayed for church growth? You know what he prayed for? He prayed for unity. He prayed for oneness. Because Jesus knew that if the unbelieving world looked at his followers and saw them unified, it would, it would attract them to come. And, and believe in Jesus and start following him. Our mission rests on our unity. It might surprise you to know that there was some political diversity among the disciples, the 12 disciples of Jesus. It says Simon was a zealot. You know, zealots wanted to overthrow the Roman government. Matthew was a tax collector. Tax, tax collectors worked for the Roman government. And so these two guys that followed Jesus are on completely different sides of this issue. People often pressured Jesus to be more political. The zealots would come to him and say, you know, Jesus, overthrow the Roman government. You know, let's take a stand. Come on, establish a political kingdom, you know, here on earth. Jesus always resisted, I think, because he knew his mission was far greater than politics. Now, I'm thankful for Christians, for anyone that serves in, in government, you know, nationally, statewide, uh, uh, locally. I mean, government's really, uh, really important, but my hope is not in, 
better legislation or policies. My hope is not in a political party or election result. My hope is in Jesus Christ and in his love and forgiveness and the new heart and the new life that he gives, that he offers to every person. And that's why I love that River Glen is a place where our doors swing wide open to welcome anybody from any background or any belief. Look at what Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says this, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. In other words, apart from sin, uh, Paul says, I'm going to play offense. And I'm going to use any tool, any method I, I can if it means that I help someone come to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul had served as a Jewish leader until he experienced a transformation through Jesus. And he wanted other people to experience that transformation in Jesus too. And many of us have experienced profound transformation in Jesus. And we want other people to experience it as well. And so Paul goes on in the next verse and he says this, when I'm with the Jews, I become like one of them so that I can bring them uh, to Christ. When I'm with Gentiles, a Gentile is anybody who's not Jewish, who do not have the Jewish law, I fit in with them as much as I can. In this way, I gain their confidence and bring them to Christ. I try to find common ground with everyone so that I might bring them to Christ. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, this would be like a uh, Green Bay uh, Packer fan going, you know, fine. I'll wear a Chicago Bear jersey next year. I'll cheer for the Chicago Bears every game if, if, if it means, uh, you know, helping a, a lowly Packer fan come to uh, Christ. Or this would be like a, uh, uh, I meant to say a Chicago Bear fan uh, going, you know what, I'm going to wear a cheese head all year long if it means helping a Green Bay Packer fan come to come to Christ. I think you get the idea. Paul says, I will sacrifice anything, what I wear, what I eat, the work that I do, how I speak, if it would mean helping a person come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the heartbeat and mission of our church. And our mission rests on our unity and treating people with the kindness and love of Jesus, which leads to the third reason that I deeply love this church. We invite people to come as, as you are. And I'm just so grateful for so many of you who take this seriously and reach out and invite people to come here as you are. I mean, God has used you. God's using you to change lives and grow the church. That's uncommon in our world today. I want to tell you about a couple of articles that I came across uh, this fall. Uh, one, one article talked about how churches across Europe being repurposed as hotels and club, nightclubs as attendance shrinks to stunning lows. Here's a picture of a church in Belgium, but it's not a church anymore. They, they shut it down, and now it's hotel, a hotel. You can tell that you know, it used to be a church with a stained glass around the bed. Here's another picture of a church in Belgium that, that shut down. It's now a rock climbing wall. There's another church in Belgium that's uh, now a, a nightclub. Only 10% of the people in Belgium attend church, but it's not just Europe, especially, I think, since COVID. Churches in America struggling and declining and even closing. 
Another article floating around this fall said this, that said, uh, what's behind America's great de-churching? Church attendance down 20% in the 21st century. And here's why, when I, when I read this article, I, I mean, I just, I felt a burden. I felt a responsibility. That's because our, our church is not down. Our numbers have gone up. And I think God's put in front of our church an, an opportunity uh, to, 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 play, to continue to play offense and to grow God's kingdom and to grow uh, and build God's church locally, regionally, and globally. I want you to see uh, a year in review uh, video of River Glen, not to, not to pack our, our, pat ourselves on our back, but to celebrate God for what he's done. Take a look. got a hand. Only God could do that. Yeah, we thank God uh, for, for building the, the, the church. He gets the credit. And I also want to thank you. Many of you volunteer and make it possible for our church to, to reach uh, more people. And I want to thank uh, the many of you who reach out and invite people to come as you are. I know that's not always an easy thing to do. Sometimes it stretches your comfort zone, but that's how we carry out the mission of Jesus word of, of, of mouth, inviting people to come as you are. 
Back in 1990, uh, the windshield of a British Airways uh, flight uh, blew off at an altitude of 17,000 feet. This, this, this plane was at 17,000 feet high. Uh, the windshield came off and created a decompression in the cockpit and catapulted the pilot, who wasn't fully strapped in, out the window of the plane. Uh, fortunately uh, for him, a flight attendant walked into the cockpit just at that time and grabbed him, uh, reached out and grabbed him on, on, on the legs, grabbed the legs of the pilot, while the co-pilot just frantically tried to maneuver and make an emergency uh, landing. We've got a picture here of a, a reenactment of that situation from 1990. And I don't know if you can see this, but on the bottom, that's the pilot, you know, out the window, outside the, the, the plane. And up here, that's the flight attendant holding on, grabbing hold, holding on to the legs of the, of the pilot. They did this for 20 minutes. Finally, the co-pilot was able to land the plane and thought there's no way the pilot is alive. Turns out, he miraculously survived. He was frostbit, had several broken bones, but he was alive. And as I heard that story, I just started thinking about how you and I have people who, you and I know people who, who need someone, who cares enough, who loves them enough to just go, I'm grabbing on, and I'm not letting go. We all know people who are starting to drift, who are starting to just get blown away from God. Life is hard. Life is difficult. Life has a way of blowing us in the wrong direction. And on top of that, I mean, we've got a spiritual enemy, Satan, who wants nothing more than to just keep blowing people further and further and further away from God. That's why people need someone like that flight attendant to just grab on and say, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. I want to help you. I want to be a friend to you. I want to be a part of your life. I'm going to invite you to church. I'm going to give you books to read. I'm going to hold on to you, and I'm going to do everything I can to pull you back towards God. Who, who's someone like that in your life? Who, who's someone that needs you to just grab a hold of them? Who's someone that needs you to say, come as you are? I, I love Something I love is how so many of you, just you're, you're spiritually, you're like that, that flight attendant in that um, airplane. Well, I could go on. I could give you more and more reasons that I love this church. I mean, there's just so many things I, I, I love um, about this uh, place. But I wanted to share those three reasons uh, with you today. And I also want to thank you just for being a church that doesn't just play defense. We play offense. And I want to thank you for your generosity. You know what? Your generosity fuels our offense and fuels our mission of making more and better followers of Jesus. And I just thank God for blessing us with so much, way more than I ever imagined. And I'm just grateful. Thank you, God, that, that I get to serve here. But I do want to show you a verse that Jesus said. Take a look at this. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. I want you to think about that. Man, God's given us a lot, more than I ever imagined, and he expects us to play more offense. He expects us to be an even greater blessing to other people here locally and regionally and globally. And so I just want to challenge you to go all in this year. Let's continue to just grow that, that generosity muscle 
Let's, let's continue to have courage and take risks. Let's strengthen our unity around the cross of, of Jesus. And let's keep reaching out and inviting people to just come as you are. And next week's a great opportunity. Really excited. Next week we're going to begin. It's going to be a seven-week series. We're going to look at teachings and stories about Jesus chronologically leading up to Easter. And I think you're really going to enjoy uh, this series. Don't miss it. You know what? This would be a great series to invite someone uh, to come with you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness and generosity and and love. God, you've been so good to us. Everything good that's happened in this church, that's happened through this church, it comes from you. And we want to honor you and, and worship you and, and just express our gratitude to you. And we look forward to what you're going to do in the future. We ask for your continued favor. We promise our commitment to, to show courage and take the risks that you lead us to take and to stay united together as one around Jesus and to reach out and invite people to come, more people to come and hear about you. God, use us to continue to build your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.